Welcome everyone. We are so excited that you're here today. Um, as you're coming into our space here, um, we encourage you to take a moment and introduce yourself in the chat. Um, and we've got a fun question to kick things off as everyone's joining. What is the most beautiful sound in the world? So introduce yourself in the chat um, and share your thoughts on that question. We'll get started in just a moment. Karina, do you have thoughts on the most beautiful sound in the world? Oh, man. Okay, so I'm here in snowy Colorado, and um, there's a bird in the mountains in the summertime called a wood thrush, and it has this, like, really beautiful song that I am just really into right now. How about you, Lara? Well, I mean, it's snowing here right now, and so I was just thinking about that sort of wet, crispy, crunchy sound when it's, like, silent outside, but new snow is hitting the ground. Um, yeah, I'm feeling that this morning. Ooh, we've got ocean waves, a purring cat. Yes, I feel that. Oh, yeah, let's see. Mm -hmm. Heavy from Spain, the wind on the trees, the sound of a river flowing while you're fishing. Ah, oh, what kind of fish do you like to catch? Baby's belly laugh. Nice. Uh, nothing like ocean waves on the shoreline. We got a couple of ocean waves, ocean sounds. Oh, and coffee being poured into a ceramic mug. <laughs> For those of us in morning time zones, yes. <laughs> Ooh, with the anticipation of the first sip, very descriptive. Oh, grandchildren laughing. We got a lot of kid laughter, ocean waves, rushing streams and uh, wind. Mm, Ooh. Rain. <laughs> and then David, a beer being opened. <laughs> now, what kind of beer? Uh, well, here in Egypt, we drink Meister Max. Awesome. Oh, hustle and bustle of downtown cities, Hanoi. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> See, That's what I said. Too. That's what I said too. Silence when my kids are at school. Thank you to all of you for making that happen. <laughs> mm. Fantastic. Well, what do you say, Karina? Shall we dive in? It looks like most people have made their way, got their audio connected. Good to go. I think so. Yeah, let's do this, Laura. Fantastic. So hi again, everyone. Um, my name is Lara Geringer. I'm the project director for COSIN's Driving K-12 Innovation. Um, and I'm here with co-host extraordinaire and graphic facilitator, Karina. Hi, Karina. Hey, Laura. So today you are at our first Driving K-12 Innovation Summit of 2022. And today we're focusing on hurdles and accelerators. So those barriers that get in our way as we try to innovate in K-12 and these catalyzing megatrends um, that help us innovate in K-12. First up, a little bit of background. Um, COSIN's Driving K-12 Innovation Initiative provides insights and recommendations to help educators and ed tech professionals and leaders, just like you, 
drive innovation in their schools, their districts, their contexts. Um, and at the heart um, of this initiative is an advisory board that you'll hear from uh, some of the members today. But first, Karina. We just wanna take a minute to really appreciate and love on our sponsors. Thank you, Classlink, HP, Microsoft, Telos, Cisco, ENA Catch On, Jamf, and of course, Kajit. Thank you all so much. We couldn't do it without you and appreciate you deeply. And we're very fortunate that we have change makers from some of these organizations here with us today to help facilitate the conversation. So thank you in advance to all of our facilitators. Before we get started, um, I wanna talk a little bit about the advisory board. The advisory board really is the heart of this, this initiative. Um, it's a global board of over a hundred educators and ed tech experts um, who together identify the most important topics for driving K-12 innovation in the coming year. And the advisory board includes people from 18 countries from 31 of the United States, plus Washington, DC. And actually- Extra, 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 Laura. Actually, I've got to interrupt you for a second. You know, we've got a hot story from the newsroom. I don't know if you noticed, but there are educators, leaders, innovators that have joined us today. And we have got to hear from them. We are news people, we can't resist. So you may have thought you were joining a virtual summit today, but in fact, you have joined Driving Innovation Weekly magazine. And today you are in a newsroom. Luckily, we have a team of world-class reporters who are here to get the scoop from all of you, all of your stories, and um, we can't wait to dive in. So in a minute, we're gonna be going into breakout rooms with our reporters, but before we do that, we're gonna have the reporters introduce themselves and their story beat. Each reporter is covering one of our top topics that were selected by you, and Lara is gonna tell you a little more. So we're really excited about these top topics. These were selected by our global advisory board and as news folk, we really want to get these stories out there. Um, today in this first magazine edition, we're focusing on hurdles and accelerators. Um, so we've got six topics here and we're just gonna do a quick roll call. Um, reporters, we wanna hear who you are, where you're coming from and um, the focus of your story. So Karina, let's start with hurdles. Who's up first? Let's start with hurdles. First, we have got Guy and Stefan. If each of you could introduce yourselves and then one of you just give us the beat on scaling innovation and inertia of education systems. So Guy. Hi, uh, I'm Guy Levy from Tel Aviv, Israel. And actually I think it's my six years. Started with the Horizon Report and uh, moving and the transition to uh, COSEN. And, um, and I'm, I'm dealing for the last 20 years in disruptive innovation. And I think that uh, with this regard, scaling innovation, I would love um, the people who get to, my, uh, uh, to join me in my room to look uh, forward to the future and then reverse engineering back to uh, 2022. All right, thanks Guy. How about you, Stefan? Uh, I'm Stefan Vassonakamp. I'm based in Paris, working for the OECD Center for Educational Research and Innovation. So very much on innovation, how to scale it, why people 
resist to it. Why sometimes it's not as good as we hope. Uh, sometimes it's so promising, and nonetheless, it doesn't really uh, um, scale. And so that's really one of the questions that we you know we want to to understand. You know, how do we actually make innovation powerful, positive, and really having an impact, a positive impact on, on education? So that's really the kind of stories we we want to hear. Absolutely. Thank you both so much. On to attracting and retaining educators and IT professionals. Jackson, would you please introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Jackson Vega. I'm based in Lima, Peru, and I work in the American School of Lima, Colegio Roosevelt. And I'm very excited to hear from many of you that will join into my breakout room to see how we can discuss about this important topic of attracting and retaining educators and IT professionals. Thank you so much. On to Mary with Digital Equity. Over to you, Mary. Good morning from Nebraska. So I'm so excited to be part of this project. In fact, when I was with the school district here in Omaha, this was an important um, report that we always look toward um, to help guide us. Now with Cisco, as the leader of their K-12 education um, practice, this is an important topic that I'm really looking for everybody to give some additional thoughts is digital equity. How can we truly um, break the barriers and just not have this be a hurdle anymore? So super excited to be with you today. Awesome. Thanks, Mary. Over to our accelerators reporters. Starting off, we have, drum roll, <laughs> David and Betty. David, over to you for personalization, part one. Uh, hi, my name is David Deeds. I'm a technology specialist for the American International School of Egypt. I live in uh, Sheikh Zayed City, which is the, the suburbs, nice and quiet out here. Um, personalization, one of the things I want to get folks talking about first is whether or not we really need artificial intelligence in order to achieve personalization. Seems like half the stuff that I'm reading or hearing these days says that we need uh, AI in order to do it. And I would, I'm open to that, but I would argue that maybe we should start with something like just regular intelligence and uh, customizing education for kids in order to accommodate their, their different needs. It's something that we talk about a lot, but we don't really do it very much. Thanks, David. Betty, over to you. Good morning to everybody from Houston, Texas. I'm here from HP. I'm their global education technologist, but previous to that, I served 18 years in Houston Independent School District. Personalization is in the heart of my passion, giving students agency, voice, and choice, and really being student-centric. So I'm excited for my team to join me and so we can, uh, David and I can discuss uh, personalization. Awesome. Next, we have Building the Human Capacity of Leaders. Caitlin, take it away. I am Caitlin Brown from Nashville, Tennessee, and um, representing ENA and Catch On today. And I really like this topic because we all know that it doesn't matter what your title is or your role, everybody can be a leader and has, and it's important to know kind of how to grow into that place. And so we'll be talking about, about building the capacity of leadership. How do we get people and teams ready to go from where they are to where they want to be and how that will affect our students and their success moving forward. Thanks, Caitlin. Kate, over to you. 
I just want to add, um, good morning, Kate Crawford. I'm Director of Digital Learning and Media Services in a Metro Atlanta School District, Fayette County Public Schools. Very excited today about this particular accelerator. Um, I truly believe, and it's been a passion, that leaders are, you know, everything rises and falls with leaders. So talking about the innovative ways that leaders are leading to accelerate um, teaching and learning is a beautiful thing, and I'm excited to join you today. Thank you. And last but not least, we've got our social emotional learning, David Vidal. Over to you. Wow, I'm amazed by your uh, your uh, pronunciation of my name. You're perfect, David Vidal. Wow, that's great. Muchísimas gracias. So. Um, well, uh, I would like you to join uh, the room where we'll be uh, collecting stories and uh, and discussing a little bit about social and emotional learning. Uh, I'm based in Spain and I uh, work with a consultancy uh, helping uh, different governments all around the world, organizations to introduce innovation in, in the learning process. And something that I realized in the last year and was something that I didn't uh, take any care of, of that before was how important is the social and emotional learning when introducing technology and how it can impulse and accelerate the introduction of the innovation. And I would like you to come to the room to collect all those stories that will help us to to show how how it happens so come here <laughs> fantastic thank you to all of our reporters i'm just hearing you introduce yourselves no matter where you are it's going to be an amazing conversation with these fabulous reporters so what the heck are we going to be doing in a few minutes, we're going to go into breakouts for about 25 minutes, and we are going to be randomized breakout rooms, so who knows where you're going to end up? We don't even know. It's part of the magic of the newsroom, but uh, we're going to share stories, experiences, tools, ask questions, just connect with each other about each of these topics. So here we have a two-page spread template that you can choose to use in your group. In a moment, we're going to drop the link to the Google slide deck in here. It should be editable by everyone. So if you're a reporter, you can type if you want to type from the group by all means, add a picture. Um, this is a tool for you, a template, if it serves you. If you don't want to use this, if you want to uh, work in a paper notebook, um, that's totally fine. Our goal is just for you to connect and share stories. So if you want to create a two-page spread, fabulous. Um, beyond this, there's um, below this in the slide deck, there's also a list of potential questions that you can explore together. Introducing yourselves, um, what might the headline for this topic be? That's really key because at the end of the 25 minutes, we are going to ask someone from your group to share back your cover blurb, you know, on a magazine, you get all those little blurbs. What's your story? Um, and, and a short uh, description of what you talked about, which I will be graphic recording to create our very own custom magazine cover that you'll be able to share at the end. So a few questions that you might wanna explore, what makes this year unique in terms of your topic, Share a story when you've seen this topic in action to support your learners. What promise do you see? And 
acknowledging that this has been and continues to be a rough time, what can we hold up and celebrate to give us hope for the ongoing work? You can also add additional questions. Again, these slides are editable, should be editable by everyone. If you have any issues, just ping us in the chat or verbally. Um, and the breakouts start at slide 19. Thanks, Laura, for putting that in there. Um, so again, 25 minutes in your breakouts, randomized. So topic will be a surprise with one of these fabulous reporters. And before we send you in, Laura has got one more thing to share with us. Fantastic, thank you, Karina. So before we dive in, um, we just wanna do a friendly reminder of what we expect of everyone here at Driving K-12. So we ask you to speak from your experience and welcome others to speak from theirs. Step up when you have something to share and step back to make space for all voices to be heard. Listen to understand, not just waiting for your turn to talk. And it's okay to disagree, but we ask you do so with curiosity and not hostility. All right, so reporters, grab your notebooks, get ready to get the scoop. But before we launch you into the breakouts, are there any questions about what we're asking you to do? Go ahead and unmute yourself or drop it in the chat. Okay, if they come up, Laura and I are here at your service. As editors, we wanna make sure you get those stories. But again, the goal is not to have the whole two page spread filled out. It's to connect with each other and to share back with us at the end. All right, Laura, let them loose. Off you go reporters, go grab those stories. Welcome back everyone. I hope you had some fantastic conversations. We can't wait to hear what you have to share with the rest of the group. So um, as you can see on your screen, we've got some live graphic recording going on. Um, Karina will be capturing your key ideas and getting them down on digital paper uh, as the cover of our um, magazine from this session. So. What we'd like to ask each of you to do, um, each group is to think about what's the one thing that people who weren't in your group should hear. So this is sharing out your cover blurb, if you wrote one or a key idea from your conversations. Um, and we're just gonna run through each of our top stories for the magazine um, and then close it out with an exciting announcement about a new publication. So, up first, we have Guy and Scaling Innovation and Inertia of Education Systems. Guy, are you sharing or did someone from your group uh, yes, take that role yes. on? Uh, the amazing Stephanie, who <laughs> wrote the things, will also share what we've done. Please, Stephanie. Excellent. Do um, you want me to share my screen or does this, will you go to our slide? I think so. Yes. Yes, please. Okay. Sorry. Um, oops, I've lost it. <laughs> Not so amazing now, huh, guy? <laughs> okay. Not to worry. I don't know why this is happening, but there we go. Thanks, guy. Okay, so our headline is uh, The Future is Ours to Create. 
And our goals for 2026, we talked, we envisioned what 2026 would look like. And um, in that world, systemic changes are inclusive. Uh, information delivery is democratized. And we've given agency to students and teachers by enabling the, them to co-design and co-learn. Um, hybrid learning environments are the norm. So that's virtual and in-person happening uh, throughout the system. And we have a more efficient and rapid adoption cycle. Um, we also have personalized learning paths with comprehensive student records beyond grades. So some of the soft skills and uh, interests of the students are, are demonstrated in their records. Um, and then we also have collaborative learning versus the sage on a stage push method, um, which we noted was a, a few centuries old and needs to be modified. So uh, one of the reasons that we'll get there is because we'll collect stories and key learnings from educators. And I think that, uh, you know, if we'll do like reverse engineering and start where we are today, we'll get some interesting stuff, you know, if, if we're out of grade, what are we going to do today, you know, to, to, to move towards this direction. So uh, it's a nice experience, um, 25 minutes gone. So I think we'll move it for uh, uh, the Fantastic. Thank you both. Up next, Stefan, or a member of your group. Uh, no, I, I will. I will. I present. So we also have. Do you want me to share? But that will. You can share. You, you don't want. have to share your screen. It's up to oh. you. Okay. So basically, we really had a, a very nice group, very mixed actually, with uh, technology officers and some, someone from a startup colleagues in Ireland working more at the system level. Uh, and we discussed about um, um, what the pandemic has changed, what we could keep from that, what in terms of what we, we should be scaling. And our headline was actually that what should be something around having some central sharing of innovations and learning uh, in, in the digital space. Uh, uh, and with something pretty positive that, in fact, the pandemic had really opened some new acceptance for technology and before, so that a lot of new opportunities uh, have been opened. So one is really around uh, was how to support, uh, you know, the story would be around the fragmentation, in fact, of, of, of the space and the fact that a lot of things were happening in silos whether within departments in districts or, uh, you know, within schools, in systems. Um, and that's really, you know, one of the big challenges was to support, in fact, all the different stakeholders, you know, the learners, the uh, providing the infrastructure for them, etc. Um, and so that, you know, there were a lot of new opportunities around that. And one of the new big questions and which actually were open is also what is coming next, you know? So beyond what we have experienced during the pandemic, how will things like AI, new types of technology that are coming uh, present some new challenges for, for schools uh, and notably around questions like uh, data protection, privacy, et cetera, et cetera, and how to deal with that. So that was really the... We had a lot of questions, that was one comment. Many questions in our group, but which can make a good paper too. Absolutely, thank you. Let's see, we have attracting retaining educators and IT professionals up next with Jackson. 
or a representative from your team. Yes, and Rod will help me on this. Let me uh, probably share my screen. So in order to help Rod with what we have built. Um, Rod, go ahead. Absolutely. Well, since we created a headline, it's like extra, extra, read all about it. What moves you as an educator or an IT professional? So we're truly cub reporters, right? And so in this whole headline and the creation of that, we want to emphasize that it's, it's, it's what it moves you as an educator or an IT professional. It's about more than the money. And the whole emphasis around that is building a bridge for tomorrow. What does that look like? And what should we be focusing on? And how do, how do we prepare for the future? And also our need for IT professional and teachers working collaboratively together um, and supporting this bridge building. And it's just, we wanted to show the action items that are associated with bringing that work and, and balance together. And so that's what we talked about as a team. Um, we had a great opportunity to learn more about individuals and the sharing of stories and where they've come from and their backgrounds. Um, and so it was a, a very robust conversation and allowed us to, to put together this headline. Um, but it's more about um, how do we move and how do we actually enable individuals to become more than just um, the educator and thinking about what tomorrow looks like. Feel free to join in and provide anything else that I may have missed. No, you did great. And I think that it was 25 minutes. It was short for us, but it was, it was very interesting about hearing from different international people, like the different factors that also um, create in terms of attracting and retaining educators. Thank you. Wonderful, thank you. Okay, over to Digital Equity with reporter Mary. Oh, it looks like you're muted, Mary. I am muted. I am muted, I apologize for that. And I was trying to share my screen and it's, it's saying I don't have, um, option to do that. If so, if you wanted to share our um, slide, it's slide 25, that would be great. But we, you know, we start off with, is this a three-legged stool, right? Of thinking, is it, you know, digital foundations, conditions for learning, and then meaningful learning opportunities. But then we started thinking, well, no, it's really a ladder. And, or is it a highway or a bridge, you know, trying to get over this hurdle? And, and so we have two headlines, one not so positive that grabs your attention and it's failure to foster digital equity crippling communities because we truly believe it's a community issue. It's not just a K-12 issue. And then we put, well, digital equity is about more than just access, which to me, it's like, oh, maybe we'll read this one. So this one, the first one kind of is saying, hey, action, we need to get involved. And I think it has to do with, you know, digital literacy for the whole community not just our students in the schools. It has to do with, you know, when I'm trying to help people, parents, grandparents, and I'm saying, okay, you have to plug in, you know, this into your router. And they're like, what's that? You know, so, you know, that digital literacy of, of the hardware and the software out there of how do they gain access? Because it is, it's like we said, it's a community issue. It affects everyone. And so as we think about within our various communities, how do we pull things together? And I did bring up the book Fiber by Susan Crawford. If you haven't read this book yet, 
Um, this might be one that will help you in your work with digital um, you know, equity because it talks about you know, national examples of like Korea and then we talked about Portugal as well, but also thinking about the communities here in the United States and abroad that have, have really done this well and those that have kind of, you know, what has been their failure. And sometimes it's they're too, they're too, kind of too early to the party. And so therefore the community didn't embrace what they were trying to do, the leaders. Um, we also brought up this whole idea of personalized learning plans really as part of this digital equity as we look in, you know, inward into the K-12 area. And, and this then leads into personalization. So this next um, hurdle that we'll be going into. So some of these will be interconnected as we rethink challenges and opportunities um, within the, the community as a whole. And I loved how one of our members, and I put all of our members' names down as authors because we all so contributed to this, is the key to cracking digital equity is the zip code. Oh, what's that say? right? Um, because it's more than rural. It's more than just urban. It's, it's everybody. Um, and, you know, so we had some great stories um, that were shared. One is, you know, somebody has, you know, they know the story of asking their neighbors not to be online during a certain time so students can, you know, within the neighborhood get their homework done and things like that. Um, that wouldn't go well in my neighborhood, right? But I do know that we had to bring in more um, bandwidth during this whole crisis that we had. Um, you know, and again, it was interesting. I was working with a director of IT at a school district, and she's sitting in her car in the school parking lot that she made sure to put in the outdoor access points right along with all of her students trying to get her work done while students are trying to get their homework done. Um, because she didn't have that equity in her home environment either. So I think this is a, a community piece and not just a K-12 piece. So that would be our headline. Powerful stuff, thank you. Okay, up next, you're talking about personalization. Um, David, what does your group have to share? It looks like you're muted. Okay, unmuted now, <laughs> unmute myself. All right, here is our slide that we, uh, actually I kind of put this together. We didn't have, um, we had an interesting conversation. We started off with uh, my pet peeve, which is artificial intelligence. And I think the consensus was is that artificial intelligence is something that can supplement personalized learning. It's not something that you should or could avoid entirely, indefinitely. And I think that's a good thing as well. I mean, even with your, if you're using like Khan Academy, which is one of the, uh, one of the examples that was given, whether it's machine learning or uh, real artificial intelligence that's making suggestions to kids, then that is something that is good as long as it gives them different kinds of paths. Our, uh, our headline, personalization, it's all about me or, or rather you. <laughs> I don't, uh, anyway, so we're all the authors of this. We talked about a lot of things, a wide-ranging uh, choice of topics. One of them that came up at the, at the last minute, and I think it was Alan that brought it up, is that you can't really do this without 
admin support and without a teacher community. We always talk about personalization as something that happens with students, but for teachers to actually put this into practice uh, quite often is going against the grain. We talked about standard-based grading, whether or not you can grade if you have a personalized system. Um, what does a grade mean anymore if every kid gets to choose what it is that they want to do? Um, so having the admin involved and having admin support different kinds of ways for teachers to take risks with personalization. Because as I've mentioned many times, personalization is one of the things that schools always talk about, but they very seldom do. Uh, it's, it's the back in the box thing. Teachers go to the conference, they learn about all this nifty stuff. They say, yes, we're going to do it. We're going to think outside the box. They go, they return to their schools and it's back in the box, back in the box. Every kid has to take the same class. Every kid has to do the same assignment. Every kid has to have the, the same kind of deadline. And then of course, every kid gets the same kind of grades. So anyway, if you look at the, uh, the screen here, there are a few easy to make changes that will help you make important steps toward personalized learning. One is just, of course, offering students more chances to make choices. Uh, we talked about showing students their data which uh, I think everyone agreed on was a, a good idea as long as the representation made sense to the students, um, some kind of visualization. We didn't talk much about classroom layout, but that's something that we should be able to uh, consider. Uh, the old, everyone faces the, the front of the room so the teacher can talk way is not a way to get personalized. You need to be able to get students together um, in different kind of configurations. But four ways to get started with personalized learning, really truly get to know your students. It requires that we know our students very well. We use their interests and in grouping. Uh, one person used the word passions. You have to know the passions of your students. This all ties in with social emotional learning as well. Help them set their own goals and using technology to uh, empower students. And so the five elements, student agency, flexible learning environments, and I would say flexible learning outcomes as well. Um, I don't like necessarily that every kid has to do the same project in the same way and is graded according to uh, the same rubric. Um, of course, all this means work for the teacher, more work for the teacher. Individual mastery, personal learning paths, we've already talked about that, and of course, learning learner profiles are all a part of that. But then again, the fact that yes, this is about students, but teachers need community and support in order to make this happen. Excellent, thank you. And to tell us more about personalization, let's go over to Betty. Thank you so much. So David, if you can stop sharing your screen, I'll go ahead and share mine. I will. And while David's doing that, uh, we had an amazing team with an amazing discussion. So we uh, really, leaned in on inquiry because we felt that was in the heart of student or personalization. Our headline is when you wonder you're learning, what makes you uniquely you? Um, and so we felt that uh, personalization was something that needs to, to really be understood first and foremost by uh, leaders and teachers to be able to effectively implement giving students voice and choice, really understanding their uniqueness and leveraging the fact that um, sometimes we give students questions, but what if it's students that ask the questions? What if it's students who create the inquiry, find the questions that they wanna answer and then find the solutions to those questions? 
questions. Um, we believe that AI is important, but it's only important to inform people not replace them. Um, and so we agreed with David's group. We felt that the key, because I, I think at the heart of what we talked about was how do we help teachers make personalization sustainable? We all agree it's it's a game changer. We all agree it's key. Um, it, it's it, it, We know it's a best practice, but the reality is how do we help teachers right now, especially in this time when they're going through an insurmountable cognitive load? And so really thinking through the fact that it's a network. It's a network of leaders and educators that support that movement. Uh, it starts with the, the strong leadership vision, change management, really reinventing that culture and building supports, really supporting the teacher and supporting students and, and having that network of support. Then that elevates the quality of the professional development. And we thought that any solution that uh, really addresses personalization must give teachers back time, not take away. So this is where we felt that technology can be an enabler um, in really creating, not replacing, but creating things that give teachers back time so that they can focus on the things that really matter. Uh, and so that's where we felt that AI and the, the, the tech tools, right, can really be leaned in to, to give teachers time back so that they can be the ones that um, uh, are able to, to create these culture and this, this environment in the classroom. Um, and so just kudos to my team. We wanted to make sure that personalization was about wonder. When you wonder, you are learning and really driving that student-centered curiosity, which is gonna in turn create true motivation, which makes students wanna learn. That was Fantastic. Uh, our team. Thank you, thank you. Okay, up next, building the human capacity of leaders with Caitlin. And Karina, I'll let you just share your screen and, and sketch, but um, our headline is great opportunity and great urgency. The time is right for new leaders to emerge in K-12 education. And we um, really spent some time just talking about um, how everybody in the group is approaching the building the capacity of leaders, whether it's on their team and their organization as a whole. And um, there were some really great just kind of nuggets that, that floated to the top. And so the first was that we really need to think about three different levels of leadership capacity. Those who are already in place as leaders on a team or in a district, our administrators, our superintendents, um, folks that have kind of management in the title. Then we need to think about those who are individual contributors, but they have an opportunity to take the lead, whether it's in their PLC, their departmental team, or even just in their classroom. And then finally, we need to think about our stu students, the fact that they are our future leaders and our future peers. And so um, those were kind of the, the angles that we wanted to come at it from. The second thing that we really spent some time digging into um, is the necessity of best practices and resources and really getting to those through connection. Um, thinking about kind of what the systems are that are in place to help us build capacity. And then if there aren't systems in place, what do we do? And so I kind of took the, the Mr. Rogers route, look for the helpers. Um, and so those are those are organizations like COSIN that have you know created the Great Minds series and how that fits into the 
um, the hurdles, accelerators, enablers conversation, and then also um, looking at other districts in your state, around the country, across the globe, um, where you see success happening, identifying those bright spots, and um, joining forces. You know, it's 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 not a big thing to ask. How did you make that work? And and what are you doing to make it work so well? And then finally, um, really just purposefully creating a space for innovation and creativity, not just within the scope of technology, but within the scope of our conversations, our approach to education, our lesson planning, all of the things that kind of go into the full day and the full school year and beyond, um, and really just kind of giving people permission to think bigger than what they have before, um, outside kind of the box of what has been. A couple of the little nuggets that I really, um, the quotes from our team, uh, Chris Hagel said, you know, the goal is to get out of the nuts and bolts and back into strategic thinking. The, the pandemic has really forced a lot of us to, to dig down deep into the tiny details and building capacity is all about getting back to that 30,000 foot view and seeing kind of the full scope of where we are um, and how we're gonna get to where we wanna go. And then Jill um, said, you know, everybody has the capacity to think and contribute at the leadership level. And that makes for success within the organization. And that's really what we're here. It's, it's finding those unique qualities that are in the people around us and doing what we can to bring those to the forefront and support the growth of those wonderful things. So that was that was our group. Excellent, thank you. Okay, next up, Kate, talking about a similar, same topic, uh, different conversation. Yes, and we actually focused in on um, post-pandemic, building the capacity of leaders. And uh, Crystal, she's had to jump off to attend another session, but she came up with the headline of leading from a different set of lenses. And of course, those new lenses are the ones that we now all are wearing uh, post-pandemic. So we had a lot of discussion about assisting leaders and building capacity in kind of bringing everything back center because we have a lot of pushback about there's too much technology usage now, there's too many, you know, too, kids are on the computers, there's too much screen time. We're kind of back in that place. So some of the things that we talked about um, was student, you know, looking at things through a student and teacher's perspective, looking th through their lens, and then giving teachers the autonomy to adjust instruction based upon student needs, but what does that look like in a truly impactful way when you utilize technology as a tool? Um, allowing, of course, for more student agency, voice and choice, so kind of blending in what has already been shared in terms of personalization and helping leaders understand that. What does personalization really mean? Um, refocusing on that post-pandemic, what does that look like? And then assisting leaders in taking a closer look at what teachers are using the tools for. So instead of taking a baby, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater approach, it's more about really and truly looking at how the, the, what the instructional focus is and then what tools are being utilized. We also talked a lot about how there was this huge push from vendors during the pandemic for teachers to sign up, you know, get six months for free or, or what have you, the freemium uh, that we all know and, and probably don't love. I don't know. I'm just speaking for myself. But, you know, we had a lot of teachers who got hooked on those types of, you know, programs. And I kind of like to call them the shiny new toys 
Um, and we want to bring that back center too and have another look through the lens of the teacher and where they are and meet them where they are to help them understand that, you know, one or two tools is good at trying to implement everything else is, is not a good focus. We also talked about the student agency piece and, and incorporating student advisory committees for leaders to consult. So building that leadership capacity by talking with students. What a novel idea, right? Um, and to talk about the things that they experienced during the pandemic and now what it looks like from their perspective post-pandemic. And then of course, uh, as I've already mentioned, determining what tools are effective and have the greatest impact on instruction. So our input is on slide 31, if you're following along with our, um, or with the uh, presentation. Some of the great quotes, I'll wrap up with that. Um, Pete, and forgive me, Pete, if, I'm, if I don't pronounce your last name correctly, but Zakari, I believe, um, he really had some great insights. And one of the things that he shared was that students are back in the building, but some of our teachers are still teaching like they are at home. So kind of trying to bring, again, as I mentioned, everything back center. And then Cheryl Abshire, who I love, she's with us too today too. She's um, just such an incredible leader in Louisiana and has dealt with so much. But she she had a really good point, too, about looking in the rearview mirror is no longer an accepted, acceptable practice. We need to look forward past 2022. So that's what our group shared and um, building that ca capacity of leaders. Thanks. Thanks, Kate. Last but certainly not least, we have social and emotional learning. Um, David, you're up. Hi. Well, uh, I'll be. I will be very, very quick because we don't have much time. But uh, I think that we we got a few uh, nice uh, reflections, and we shared a few stories. We started reflecting on different pictures that show uh, people interacting with uh, with uh, technology, and we try to understand how social and emotional learning uh, can accelerate, can impulse the, uh, the, the introduction of uh, innovation in our schools. And the headline, the conclusion uh, that we got was that well-being comes first. So this is the most important thing that we have to take care after introducing any any innovation in our schools uh, the the reflection started uh, talking about uh, a, a conception of learning that considers that learning is about making connections mostly uh, and not just about uh, delivering and, uh, and, and delivering content so at the end we we realized uh, with the pandemic and the transition to the online model uh, teaching and learning and then coming back to the to the uh, classroom again uh, we we realized uh, as teachers that uh, there is something very important that we were missing is taking care of social and emotional learning uh, before anything uh, when when facing our our classes so uh, that's why uh, social and emotional learning uh, should be a part of our school cu culture and not just uh, an initiative 
uh, a program isolated, but uh, something that comes in, into the core of, of the school. We have shared there uh, in the in the presentation uh, a few resources. You can you can check it, and I think that we we had a, a great conversation on on this time. So thank you so much, everyone. Fantastic. Thank you. And thank you, everyone who shared, everyone who contributed in the conversations. Um, one thing that I love about this initiative is that we get to connect with others who are in similar but often different situations from us to talk about shared passions, shared priorities, and the shared value of centering the student, centering student learning, and supporting educators through it all. Um, at this point, you can see our beautiful cover for our uh, fictional magazine um, full of your insights, um, your ideas, um, and this sort of theme of actively working to create the futures that we want to see for learning. Um, Karina is gonna be finishing this up and it will appear in your inboxes later to share, to use as an easy note guide. Um, but now, since we're really close to the end, um, we've got some exciting news. So, um, let's see, sorry, just double checking, I shared the right screen. Um, so we are announcing today the first of our 2022 Driving K-12 Innovation publications um, full of insights and ideas and commentary from our advisory board of over 100 experts. Um, it's got concrete recommendations and some examples as well as discussion about the intersection between these topics and the state of the world that we find ourselves in, this sort of pandemic sea in which we're swimming. Um, and before we give you that link, um, which is free uh, for everybody, so um, any of you, you and your colleagues can use it, um, I want to turn things over to our executive editor slash COSIN CEO, Keith, um, to share why it matters with everything that we're dealing with these days. Why does it matter to innovate now? Keith. Yeah. Thanks, Laura, and uh, great job facilitating this uh, conversation. You know, I, I, uh, I think there are a lot of uh, educators, policymakers, parents who might say, why in the world would we think about innovation after what we've been through the last two years? And I guess I would uh, start with the headline around from uh, Winston Churchill, who said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And um, I think this is the opportunity for you who are technology leaders to help define what that means. And I would refer you to some work by Michael Fullen that he put out a report for UNESCO about a year and a half ago called Education Reimagined. And he sets a frame that says, you know, the, there are really three, three phases we've gone through or are going through. The first is disruption. I call that the the chicken little moment when everything, you know, in March of 2020, uh, and people were just uh, running every direction to figure out what to do. Then we moved into a transition, and frankly, in many places we're still in that transition where it's we're rushed to go virtual, to go to remote learning. We're back at school. We're back at remote learning. But what the the real opportunity is that third phase of reimagining what we want. And um, I think this is the opportunity for you, and I would encourage leaders, uh, particularly those 
many of you on this call that have technology in your title to strike the word technology and insert the word innovation because that's your real job. Technology is not the end, but the means. And so what do, what is our vision and what can we learn? It's real easy to talk about what went wrong and the media is very good at doing that. But how do we frame the conversation to say, what can we learn? And were there some things that we could actually improve? We've seen a much greater urgency around getting things done a lot faster than we've ever seen in the, I don't know, 25 or 30 years that I've been watching this topic. And I'll just close because we have a lot of great stuff to tell you about. I'll just close with a quote from Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who said, we may not be able to prepare the future for our children, but we can at least prepare our children for the future. So take it back, Laura. Fantastic. Thank you, Keith. So now's the time. Uh, the publication is going live. Karina's going to drop a direct link in the chat. Um, one thing to note, it's free. It's available to the public and all of you. Um, you will need to create or log in with your COSIN account um, just to access it. But again, it's free. Just one quick step. Um, you can find it here is our short link or at the direct link that Karina shared. Um, and we really do hope that you find it useful. Um, it's full of all sorts of rich ideas and commentary um, and insights from our advisory board. Um, and I want to real quick, take a minute to thank everyone who has helped bring this to life. Um, we of course want to thank all of our sponsors for making this possible. Um, we have a team of supporting organizations who help get this work out and also contribute to the insights in it. Of course, our advisory board, um, who spent uh, about a couple months discussing and completing surveys and sharing their insights, um, and the editorial committee of advisory board members who reviewed everything and made the reports all the better for their comments. Um, shout out to Stephanie King, our fabulous writer and co-conspirator, um, the entire COSIN team, Karina, my co-conspirator uh, in this session, as well as um, the whole project, and our fabulous designers um, who made it uh, the aesthetically pleasing report that you find. Um, Karina, I believe you have a couple closing thoughts as we uh, look towards the future. Absolutely, Lara. And the first is thank you to you for herding cats and all of the amount, immense amount of work that you put into making this a success too. It's just been so much fun to be part of this with all of you. So thank you to our reporters. Thanks to all of our participants for sharing your stories, your experiences, and what matters most to you. Uh, I, there, there just aren't words to express my deep appreciation for the work that you all do and you don't get thanked enough. So thank you. Um, we will be following up with um, the graphic cover. I'm going to make a few edits, add a little more detail, as well as um, links to the report and um, other follow-up stuff shortly. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, Laura, back over to you, I think. Awesome. So just one final reminder, um, most of you are signed up for our next summit, which is the Tech Enabler Summit taking place in two weeks. If you're not, here is the link to register for that event. Um, we'll be releasing the companion report, the Tech Enablers report at this event. 
um, as well as the next edition of our magazine featuring insights from uh, all of you, um, should you show up at the Tech Enabler Summit. So do that, get your voices heard. Um, thank you. This has been phenomenal and I am so grateful to get to work with all of you and hear your insights um, and be a part of this community that is actively creating the future for learners and educators um, and other change makers. Thank you, thank you. Um, with that, we will close out a couple minutes early and let you get on with your day. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>